The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Father, we love you. We're grateful. We thank you. Most of all, we just relish the fact that you even hear this prayer. Lord, we also lift up today and thank you once more for our church. Not that we're anything great, but you've given us an awesome fellowship here, all by grace. May you grow it closer together and deeper and wider in you and each other. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, we are in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we are continuing our study. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we've been in a study since the first week of January, pretty much every week, save a few for holidays and vacations and such, since that time. We saw some other pastors this week, and they said, where are you preaching from? I said, Hebrews. And they said, when did you start? I said, January. And they said, how far are you? And I said, we're almost done with chapter 10. And they looked at me, and they said, no. I said, yes. God still answers prayer for speed, doesn't he? And so we are getting quicker and faster. Some of these pastors said, uh, that's amazing. So, guys, we're making good headway, right? We're getting there. Even if we stop for two verses like today, here and there. And if you were not with us last week, we are in a a section of Scripture where uh, the writer of Hebrews is now calling the people to make a decision. Are you in for Jesus? Are you out for Jesus? Are you, are you going to take everything we told you and believe on Jesus alone to save you? Or are you going to choose to go back to your Jewish roots that do not save you, that have truth, but do not have the whole truth now founded and finalized and, and completed and prophesied in Jesus Christ? So with that in mind, if you're able this morning, and we say if you're able, just know this, if you're, literally, if you're able to do it, but if it's, a, if it's a hardship for you to get up and down, we get that. But just if you're able this morning, why don't you stand with us? As we read, we're going to start back in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 25. Again, last week I told you this. These are the more, if you will, it's not a biblical word, but the more positive verses, because the next two weeks after this get really tough. And you'll see that as you read through this week, hopefully at home or on your own time. But we're in chapter 10, verses 19 through 24. A reminder to you that Hebrews is written as an evangelistic book to call forth people who have not yet made a decision for Jesus to be Christians, while the same telling Christians Jesus is better, greater, way farther ahead than anything else in this life. And what a Savior He is. Let's pray, or let's read and then we'll pray together. Chapter 10, 19 through 25. Hear God's word this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So let us hold fast, verse 23, the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to serve one another up and to love and good deeds or good works, not neglecting, verse 25, to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Your Bible might have the word day capitalized. I think you know what that reference is, don't you? The final day of the return of Jesus Christ. That's what's in focus here as he encourages them to come together in the body of Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? So good to see you. It's good to be with you. And we know that the, uh, God is among us as we seek him. So let's go before him again as we start. Thank you. Father, thank you so much. We pray these words that we've heard are not just words on a page, but by your spirit become words that we live by, words that we hold on to, Lord, and words that we cherish. For, Father, they are the words that have come directly from your throne room to our pages. Father, forgive us. Move me out of the way. May you speak by your spirit. Illuminate our hearts. All the things we pray. May Christ be exalted. May people hear about you. Whatever it is in this sermon, someone needs to hear, Lord. May you do it by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm running double duty today. Pastor Nelson is out. And uh, we are uh, doing a sermon online as we're doing this, as he always does. So if I hit a computer screen now and then, that's what I'm up to. Not playing games up here, I promise. Well, there was a letter written to a pastor, as you'll see up on the screen, as a, uh, a dear pastor letter, if you will. And it went something like this. It said, Dear Pastor... You often stress over attendance at worship, but I think a man has a right to miss now and then, and he might be providentially hindered. So please excuse me on the following days, Pastor, as I am providentially hindered. You ready for this? July 4th, it's one day. It's a national holiday. Labor Day, Pastor, even God had a day of rest. There's one day. Memorial Day, Pastor, it's a state holiday. One day. School closings, because the kids need a break. One day. School opening, it's a last chance before fall. Out-of-town ballgames, Pastor, will be gone at least five during the year. Tournaments, high school, college, tennis, and golf will be gone at least at number four. Anniversary, there's one. Sickness is one. Oh, well, five, because there's five of us. Business trips, that's three. Vacation, two weekends, but three weekends, three days. Bad weather, rain, ice, hail, snow, Pastor, that's five. NFL games, or whatever games I go to, is four. Alarm clock malfunctions. You can't blame me for their shoddy workmanship, Pastor. There's two. A time change. Who can remember that? There's two days, Pastor. House and car repairs. You can't afford plumbers and mechanics. That's three days. I have to do it, Pastor. TV specials. They're good for the kids' education. They're only on Sunday mornings. Two days. Christmas. It only comes once a year. One day. New Year's Day. We need to start off rest with that. There's two days. Pastor, if you've lost count, the letter said, that equals 50 days. So, preacher, that leaves me two Sundays to show up during the year. Have you been keeping track? Easter Sunday and the fourth Sunday in August, unless providentially hindered, sign yours truly, faithful member of whatever Baptist church. <laughs> we laugh at that, don't we? And it's so true. And that's the big question, isn't it? Is gathered worship so important to our lives? In most lives it is. In most people it is. But as we come to this book of Hebrews, we laugh at that because often that's how many people treat church. I just want to say this very clearly. What I'm about to tell you today I'm not here to get, just get your rear in a seat. This is not about a pastor trying to get the more rears you have in seats, the more money they give to the church. No, that's, that's worldly thinking. The passage that we just read encourages us to gather together because that's how we get to know each other. And more importantly, that's how we get to know our God. So is it optional? I mean, it's a, it's a profoundly important question today. Is gathering together an optional thing? The Bible's answer, though, is unmistakably clear. Unless providentially hindered, no, gathered worship is not optional. In fact, it's a divine requirement. 
I mean, yes, there are times when you're sick and, you know, there's military service, there's, there's illness, there's weather. I mean, you can run a list. There's legitimate reasons why you may be gone on a Sunday outside the Lord's providence. But that is something. Unless you are hindered, you are to gather together. That's a tough one, isn't it? Because when you say that, you immediately think, check a box, check a box. I'm, I got to be here because if I'm not here, the pastor is going to call me. Well, we might call you, not because we, we, we want to be those guys, but because we care for you. We love you. We want to know how you're doing. And that is why a body of believers that comes together is a body of believers that worships together. And that's what makes a, a, a church a church. Look, gathering together on a Sunday is not the greatest of things we do, but it's certainly not less. Does that make sense? But some people treat it like that fictitious letter I just read and run a laundry list of things that could go wrong in a life that would keep one from church. Now, we don't go home as pastors each week and say, man, uh, you know, Joe Bob has only been here three of the last seven Sundays. Maybe we should kick him out of the church. No. But I pray that if we ever get to a point where you're unable to be communicated with and church, I'm just talking very practically here. If you're a member of this church and we don't hear from you or see you or have any contact with anyone near you that knows where you're at, we ought to be concerned. I would hope, right? I mean, if your kid just went off for several weeks and you didn't hear from them and they finally get back to you and say, well, leave me alone. I'm your kid. You know where I'm at. What would you do as a parent? You would go nuts. You would ring them by the neck in a, in a not, uh, you know, in a not bad way, but you'd ring them by their neck and say, where have you been? What have you been doing? But yet when it comes to church attendance and being here for the people of God, sometimes we're seen as the bad police. And I'm not trying to be that today. Because our big idea today comes from what we saw in Acts 2.42. Amy, if you want to put that up this morning, it's on the screen. Acts 2.42 said in the early church is they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Look, it, it basically means that throughout church history, wherever biblical Christianity existed, Christians had a high view of the church. Unfortunately, that is not the case today. So what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? Why was the writer of Hebrews encouraging this as a mark, even of salvation? Hear this clearly. The writer of Hebrews will go so far as to say, if you neglect the people of God and continue to show that as a mark in your life, you may not know the God of the people. Does that make sense? If you don't continue to worship with God's people and want nothing to do with them, then you may not be counted among God's people. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pastor, are you saying that going to church saves you? Did I say that? No. But it does show that you care about the people that God has put in your life. He's going to argue that today. So the big idea today is this, and Amy will put it on the screen for us, is that a commitment to Christ always leads to a commitment to His church. Time out. This is not butts in seats. We're not seeking high attendance Sunday. I'm using all the Baptist phrases here. We're not trying to get a big number so we can post it on some Baptist newspaper. Why do we do this? Because a true love and longing for the people that make it up shows whether you know Jesus or not. Whoa. That changes church attendance a bit, doesn't it? Shit. Because there are many today, professing and unprofessing, who question the necessity and relevance of the church. And we now have a new category out there. We now have a category called unchurched Christians. In contrast, the old dead guys, the reformers, would say outside the church there is no salvation. You say, what? The church doesn't save you. But it does mean that church membership 
and attendance and participation shows whether you are truly vested in the gospel or whether you're not. See, pastor, that's harsh. Guys, I'm just the messenger. Go take the writer of Hebrews out back and put him to the woodshed, right? But the truth is, this is something that our church struggles with, as does every church. Can I be honest with you for a second? I hope I'm honest the whole time, right? But can I be really honest with you? COVID became a convenient excuse after a time and a place where people had the opportunity to come back to church and they never did. Oh, I just said it. Look, we want to be safe. We want to be reasonable. We want to be understanding. But if you're going to a game, a Chiefs game, a vacation, you're going to the store, you're doing everything else but forsaking the assembling together of God's people because you don't have time or you want to go when it's convenient for you, we question whether or not that's really a priority in your life, don't you? If you have a doctor who tells you you need to lose weight and you show up 100 pounds heavier when you go back to him, he's going to look at you and say, Bravo, you lost... No. He's going to look at you seriously in the eyes and say to you, if you keep this up, you're going to die sooner than you live. So friends, this morning, I come as one person sharing with you the same message I need to hear in my heart every week. If I'm a pastor, would I still go to church? Yes, I would. If I'm a regular Joe person, would I still be at church? Yes, I would. But the call here is for us to remember, it's not about just getting your butt in a seat. It's about here for each other and for the Lord. Amen? Does that make sense? So two things today. And last week we went through this. These are the marks of salvation he gave us. And you'll see this on the screen. Amy will put this up. Just go ahead and... Put a bullet up there. Last week we saw, if you're a Christian, you have confidence in Christ, that He is your Savior, that He is the one that you can go boldly with. We saw last week that there's a coming to Christ. You turn to Him. You you run to Him for all things, including salvation. And then there was the holding fast, clinging to Christ, and, and, and not letting anything else dissuade you from Him. But then, fourthly, there is a confessing of Christ. There is a public demonstration, especially through baptism. That you know Christ. And today, the last two marks here he gives you. Remember, these are the positive spins. But how do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you've truly made a decision for Christ? And here it is, and you'll see them. We'll start with number five today. Number five is a compassion in Christ. A compassion in Christ. You notice that as it's right there on the, on the screen. You notice what it says. Or it's up there, compassion in Christ, verse 24. He says, and let us. Remember, he's addressing here these marks of salvation. How do you know you've come to Jesus? How do you know that you've really come to him? He says, and let us. Who's the lettuce? The let, let us here. What he's saying very specifically is, is that these people are the ones whom the gospel has been extended to. These are the people to whom the gospel has been shared. But what he's telling them is, is if you come to Jesus, then you will do these things. Not because you have to, but because you want to. I don't give my wife a kiss on the lips because I have to. Sometimes it feels that way. I give her a kiss on the lips because I love her. Come on, guys. You've been there. Because that's what the good husband manual says to do, right? Amen. You know what I'm saying, and you get it. But what he is telling them here is that, look, all those who draw near to Christ are those who are drawing near to other believers. There's no Lone Ranger Christians there's no me and Jesus on a golf course on Sunday morning that keeps up that pattern for their lives and professes to be saved. If you're a Christian, you will be in a church. It may not be Tower View. It may be another Bible-preaching church, but you will desire to be among God's people. 
Because if you truly draw near to Christ, you will draw near to others who want to be around Christ. First Corinthians 12 says that we've been placed in the body of Christ as a family, as, as, as arms need the, or as legs need the, the body and arms need the body. We're connected and redeemed by the same blood and by the same spirit. And what is the greatest commandment? It's to love God and love people. Many people profess to love God, but they don't want to love the people of God in the local church. Look, and I'm going to give another time out here. Some churches have hurt you. Maybe even this church has hurt you. Church hurt is a real word. It's a real thing. And that's a real thing. I'm not talking about those situations where you may need a time out for church. What I'm talking about is someone who is able to be there but chooses not to be for some reason that is not biblical or godly other than being selfish. 1 John 4 says, How can you love God from whom you don't see and not love your brother for whom you do see? This is perhaps one of the most evangelistic Bible verses in the Bible. Look, if we don't love one another, we, we don't, we're not saved. In fact, that's why he says in verse 24 to consider. You remember back to chapter 3 and verse 1, we were to consider Jesus. But now he's telling us to consider what? To consider how we could stir one another up. To stir one another up. And that's not like I like to do online sometimes and, and like ask that random question no one else is doing and stir the pot. I mean, some of y'all like to do that just to just to get a rise out of people. That's fun to do sometimes. Don't do that in church, but you know what I mean. But that's not what he's saying here. The consider, it's literally a focal point. What is your consideration when you come to church? Is it Christ? It should be, first off. But second off, it's how you can what? It's how you can focal point yourself to stir one another up to love and good works. Do you know part of the reason missing church is a bad thing? It's because you are a blessing to someone else who needs you to be a blessing. And when you're not here, if you can be here, if you're physically able to be here, not providentially hindered or whatever, then that blessing never happens. You know, as a pastor sometimes, it is hard because people are very generous. Church, you're very generous to us and you give us gifts and we're not seeking those things. I'm not saying those things, but it's hard sometimes because we're here to serve you and sometimes we feel like you all bless us so much in such a material and prayerful way that it's hard as a young pastor, we have to teach our young seminary guys this, and you know this, if you've been married or you've gotten a meal train or something in your life where people just blessed your socks off, you're like, who am I? You want to tell that to every one of them. Like, who am I to receive this? But at the end of the day, you just simply say what? Thank you. Because that's it. It's a thankfulness. And friends, as we come together, if we truly love one another... We want to be around each other because I can't say thank you to you because you bless me if you're not here, if I don't know who you are or if you're not around. But he tells you that true Christian love is an agape kind of love. That's what the word love here means. Agape is a, a, a word that literally means to be self-giving. It means to be self-giving. You give yourself to each other. You sacrifice for one another. But it starts back with that word stimulate or stir up. It literally means that you are to provoke them to good things. Now, I know a lot of you are that sister or brother, like I said, that provoked your siblings to bad things. You looked at them the wrong way and they say, Mom, he's looking at me again. You know each other's hot buttons. But the phrase here is, is that you are to know the hot buttons for good works and love in the body of Christ. You're to look at other Christians and know Hey, that brother needs a little encouragement right now. That sister needs prayer right now. Or this family needs some help right now. And that's what he's telling you to do. 
When you come together, your sole purpose is to have compassion in Christ for one another because you know you're in it together. And it's a selfless love that leads to good works. What are good works? If you're not a Christian here today, I want to tell you that good works do not save you. Good works do not bring you to heaven. Good works do not do anything. They're like a filthy rag before a holy God. But as a Christian, good works show that you are in Jesus Christ. Go see Ephesians 2, James 2. But the sad fact is, most churches do not operate this way. We, we show up to worship like a spectator sport. You know, football season's upon us. It's been well said that football's 22 men on a field in desperate need of a rest and being watched by 75,000 people in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> you laugh because we all know it's true, right? And sometimes that's how the church operates. Because worship is not a spectator sport. Do you know what we're called to do amongst the body of Christ? We're not called to simply show up, give an offering, receive the ministry of others, greet a few people, and then go home thinking about what we want to do. We are first and foremost here for Christ. We're to exalt the living God who gave himself for us. But it doesn't stop there. It means that we are looking for opportunities and praying for opportunities within our church to get to know each other so we can bless each other in self-giving love and in good works towards other Christians. But you can't do that if you're not here. This is why, as a church, we take seriously that if we haven't seen you, we're going to try and contact you. And if we don't get you through a Facebook message, a phone call, an email, a text message, a brother or sister in the church, we might send you a letter. No, you're not in the principal's office. But it'll go something like this. Hey, we love you. And we miss you. And we really care for you. Because when you became a member, you, you like said before God, I, I love you, God, first off, but I love these people and I want to be amongst them. And guys, sometimes conflict happens. Sometimes in a church, you're not here because there's something in the pot that's stirring within your soul where you can't sit next to another brother or sister. I encourage you to settle those per Matthew 18 in the way that God says to go to them one-to-one, two-to-three, or before the church if necessary. But oftentimes, it's just people being stubborn. Someone once told us a, a few weeks ago that I've never been at a church where I've never been able to come when it's most convenient for me. That speaks more volumes than you realize. Because a true Christian, and Amy will put this up, a true Christian will not only lead you, true Christian love rather, will not only lead you to attend and participate in corporate worship like you're doing now, but it will also lead you to prayerfully consider the needs, growth, and concerns of other Christians even when you aren't physically together. The Southern Baptist Convention of which we are a part has a big problem, and I've mentioned it before. We have 11 million people on the rolls of our churches, and about 1.5 to 2 million of those, maybe three around the holidays, will attend any given Southern Baptist church. Eight million professing Christians who may be at other churches, we just don't know, are nowhere to be accounted for. And you know what's even worse? There are pastors who are okay with their, their roles setting like that. With names on a roll who are trusting that someday they will go to heaven because they walked an aisle someday, signed a car, joined the church, and walked out the back never to be seen again. It's scary, guys. 
But if you're truly a Christian, there will be days where you don't feel like going to church. And even as a pastor, I have those days, admittedly. I love you all. You love me. But let's be real. Some days you don't feel like being here. Some days I don't feel like being here. But we show up. Because we know He's worthy. And we know we're needy. And sometimes, when we've had trouble with... with uh, and I'm speaking third party here with, with, with just things in life and you've given us a hug and you've given us a prayer that has encouraged our family. And there have been times when you've come in and you didn't know what was going to happen with the Sunday and someone comes up to you and asks you that question, how are you doing? And you just can't stop the stream of tears because you know something's going on. Can that happen over a phone? Yeah. Can that happen over FaceTime? I suppose. Can that happen in a parking lot or other places perhaps? But there's something about being here together that God blesses even more. And when he says it's for love and good works, that's what we're called to do. Billy Graham has long said that two-fifths of his people may truly have been saved who came forward at his places. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan preacher who makes things simple, said, quote, Satan picks off the ship that doesn't sail in the convoy. Satan picks off the ship that doesn't sail in the convoy. Everyone else is over here. You're over here. You're easy pickings for the wiles of the devil. Christian, I just encourage you, if there's anything in this, this fifth point, first point, fifth point, what are we on? Is to get to know your brothers and sisters here. If you're a member here, we're resetting our membership directory at our, our 60th anniversary. We're going to take a quick photo of you. It doesn't have to be an Owen Mill sit-down photo like the old days. We're just going to take a picture of you and put it up there. We want you to know each other. Outside these walls, better and better. The more you do that, the more we have compassion in Christ towards one another. The last thing is this. The mark of salvation is not only compassion in Christ, but also continuation with Christ. Will you look at me at verse 25? Continuation in Christ. He goes on to say, Let us consider how we stir up one another to love and good deeds. In verse 25, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look, there is a true saving faith. There is a faith that that saves, but there's also a faith that does not save. There's a faith that is going to bankrupt people when they stand before God on that capital D day called Judgment Day. And what he is telling them here is, is that a continuation with Christ, uh, going forth with the people of God, is an evidence that you know Jesus. It's an evidence that you've really been saved. It's an evidence that God is working and has worked in your life. You notice that phrase there in verse 25 that even back in those days, it was the habit of some not to gather. Well, why were they not gathering? They were not gathering because literally their life was being, uh, they could die. Uh, they could literally be killed and rounded up and taken off, as it were, for some to the Colosseum. But as is the habit of some, Literally, this word here, the phrase that we're going to be talking about is the capital A word. It is apostasy. Can you say that with me? Apostasy. Not prophecy, apostasy. Literally, what it means is, is a walking away from the faith. It's a walking away of the things of God. And you notice that phrase there, to not forsake, or do not forsake. It's a double negative. I don't know how that works in mathematical terms if you're a mathematical engineer here today, but at least in biblical terms, it's double emphasizing what he's saying. Basically, he's saying that the one who comes to Christ will be coming to church. 
It's impossible to genuinely be coming to Christ but not want to be around the people of God or the public worship of God. A genuine Christian will have a genuine commitment to the local church. The term used here, do not forsake, is the same that Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the same used by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said we are persecuted but not forsaken. It's the same phrase used in Hebrews 13.5 that we all love so much. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The point is, is that if God is not forsaking you, why are you forsaking God's people? And the writer here uses it to tell us that we are not to forsake, abandon, or desert the church. Every Christian, as long as they can be, should be marked present on church day. But if you're sick or homebound, your child's sick, your, your parent is infirm, look, we get that you go on vacation. It's okay. We get that. It's the tenor of your life that he's speaking about. There will be a desire to be with God's people. But the habit of some is not just that they've missed one or two services. The habit is it's become a pattern. The habit is is that they're no longer anywhere to be found. And that's troubling for the writer of Hebrews because he knows that they're being persecuted. The greatest place they need to be is around God's people. They need to be amongst God's people. Look, we're living in a day and a culture and a time. You need more and more of God's people. And I'm not talking about programs. Programs can just be sinful carnality that shows up to make us feel better about ourselves. We are not a program-based church if you're visiting with us. We want to be a relationship-driven church that takes time, it's hard, it's messy, and it's, it's hard, isn't it? You're busy, I'm busy, we're busy, but together we need to be busy for Christ. So what does this mean? What is he saying? I think, it, I think what he's getting at is this. Is that if you're absent and others do not know where you are and they're not surprised by your absence, you're probably out of God's will in this matter. Let me say that again. If you are absent and others don't know where you are, but they really aren't surprised you're gone, then you're probably sinning in this matter, to put it in frank terms. If you can miss church without being missed at church, Something is missing. But if you can miss church without missing church, something is missing. Did you catch that? If we can't find you and no one knows who you are, where you're at, but you're a member of this church, that's a problem. But if you're that member of a church and you're really physically missing church, but you don't care you're physically missing church, do you see the problem? The word desertion literally means a soldier abandoning his his post or a parent abandoning his or her child. 2 Timothy 4.10 said Demas loved the world and he deserted Paul. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.16 that all deserted him. It literally means abandoning the public gathering where the church is meeting together. Friends, I I just want to preview the next couple weeks. We go to chapter 10, verses 29 through 31, Hebrews 10. If your Bible's falling asleep, just hit it and it'll wake back up. Hit the snooze alarm on it. Chapter 10, verse 29. What happens to those people who continue to walk away from the people of God? Well, verse 29 is going to tell you. He says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of His covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Verse 30. For we know... Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay again. The Lord will judge His people. For it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. 
He said, Darren, you are not equating missing church with people who are spurning the worship of Christ, are you? Yes, I am. Because the context demands that I do. This is one mark. But if you continually persist in ungathering, not gathering with God's people when you are able to and you profess to be a Christian, it is as better that you did not know Jesus than profess that you do. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is verse 31. If you're an underliner, we'll be there next, probably next week, maybe in the next week. We'll see how far we get. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Not to fall within a church. Not to fall within the bad graces of a pastor's eye. Not to fall within the weird, uh, awkward looks of not being around and showing up at church and not knowing anyone and feeling weird and guilty. But to fall in the hands of the living God. Because you don't stand before me or a tribunal someday. You stand before God someday. Friends, Hebrews 6 tells us it is impossible to renew those who have fallen away, who have apostatized the faith. What does apostasy mean? It means you literally just throw up the hand and walk away. I want nothing to do with you. Talk to the hand, Jesus, because the faith ain't listening. That's what my generation used to say. And do you know in the church in America we've made it so easy to become a member of a church that to do so, anyone can join if they just walk down the aisle and most churches sign their name and they get their member name on a roll and they never darken the door again. Oh, for, Lord, forgive us. This is why this church, we don't want to be the Nazi police. This is why, as your pastors, please hear my heart on this. When we reach out to you, if we haven't seen you in a while, it's not because we're mad at you. It's not because we're trying to kick you in the rear. Well, maybe. But it's because we care for you. It would be worse for us to let you sit on a Baptist church roll and take your soul to hell than it would be for us to send you a letter to follow up and show that we care for you. Do you see that? This is not about us. But I'm sick and tired of hearing from pastors of church members who say, why are you following well with me? I'll be there when I want to be there. Leave me alone, pastor. Someday, sir or ma'am, God may look at you and say, You do not know Jesus Christ. You knew a membership role. You did not know Him. You did not love His people. You didn't love me. Away from me. It's a serious business. And yeah, I'm getting riled up up here, alright? But I want you to know this is serious. Look, if you miss a Sunday, we're going to love you. We're going to care for you. you. You see those parameters. But I'm here to warn you. If you walk out of a church and you don't continue to commit yourself to a church, the Bible says, how can you know the love of Christ? You don't. What are you called to do? And Amy, if you want to put this up. So what are you called to do? This is what you're called to do. The only Get this. Here's a little fact, a Bible factoid you can impress your friends with. The only thing you're called to do in the New Testament, increasingly, more and more, like keep piling it on more and more, is to encourage each other. Look at what the verse says. What is your call? Not to neglect. Yeah, that's the negative. But here's the really cool part. Encourage one another all the more. Increasingly. Pile it on there. You know, you go to the Olive Garden. I'm making you hungry now, right? Go to the Olive Garden and the waiter asks you, do you want some cheese on that? My wife and I always look at each other because I like cheese more than she does. You know, we kind of go with that pace and that's fine. I love her. 
But I, I'm like, give me the block of cheese, man. Just keep, keep turning that on there, right? Keep going. Keep going. How, you know, when you go to Grandma's house, how many scoops do you want? If Mom and Dad aren't around, you just say, pile it on there, Grandma. You know, you get that. What is our call as Christians? Yes, to come together, but encourage each other. Why? Because the day is coming near. He's coming back. We win the war. The battle's done. Your sin is forgiven. You're justified in Christ. You have it all. Why do you not want to celebrate that every week with other people who celebrate it? Every week. Amen, Tally. <laughs> Tally always gets us there in the back. Tally came to our house yesterday and she was clapping and amen and all, all the way at our house. As, as uh, Anyway, let me close with this. I want to give some warnings before we close. I want to warn for those today who are here who are professing faith in Christ but never go to church. Unless you're impaired, it is a sin. You need to draw near to Christ. You draw near to others. Second group I want to talk to you about are those who are church hopping. And let me just say this, look, uh, even on a vacation side, when we go down to my wife's family, it is hard to find, it, it really blessed churches, it is hard to find a solid church where you feel at home. You know, most people come to church for two reasons. One, they want to know the truth is preached and lived out. That, that's always for most honest seekers. But secondly, it's a connection with people. You want to be connected to other people. Those are usually the two factors most people stay in a church for a long time. And it makes sense. You don't want to just go and be a consumer. You want to be there. Uh, you want to be there and be a part. But there can also be church hoppers who serially church hop to the point where they're not a member anywhere. They can't find a church that's perfect enough. Well, every time you walk in the door, sir or ma'am, you make that church even more imperfect than it was. That's why we are an imperfect church for perfect people. Because we are all sinners here leading each other to the cross of Christ because we need it. Third warning I want to say is those who join a church and rarely come. There's that fact, I know as pastors we debate this, should we mention this or not? There are the CEO Christians, you know, Christmas and Easter only. You know, you don't want to bring false people for coming to church. That's not what I'm here to do. But in all seriousness, if you only go to church around the holidays because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do, do you know Jesus? Glad you're here, but do you know Jesus? The fourth warning I want to mention to you is that those who come but never join, there's a point at which you need to entrust yourself to the care of faithful pastors. Not perfect pastors, but faithful pastors, as you can. So it's okay to, to hang around a church for a while, but um, we walk that fine line as pastors of not being a used car salesman to force you into joining or, you know, sweet talking, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, knowing that you're not accountable to anybody. And if you were to sin, we can't, I mean, seriously, if you were to go wayward in your faith, we can go up to you as a Christian to another Christian and say, look, we, we see that you're walking unbiblically, but you could say to us, well, what, what good is that? You, I'm not a member of your church. That's absolutely right. Part of the reason you join a church amongst others is that if you go this way spiritually, there are other brothers and sisters who prayerfully, humbly, lovingly can come alongside you and say, hey, um, Bible says this, you're doing that. I've got sin in my life, you've got sin in yours. But brother, sister... This is not leading in a good direction. Would you come back? That's why being part of a church is there. And part of the reason I want to encourage you to join a church, and I'll close with this. A lot of things keep me up at night. Bad pizza, terrible Royals games, family church problems. 
But perhaps this most of all. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Don't take that for anything more than it means. For they are the ones keeping watch over your souls. For they will have to give an account. Someday, if you're a member of this church, I stand before God, Pastor Brian, Pastor Nelson, anyone who's been a pastor over you stands before God and has to give an account for your soul. We're not there to save you. You either knew Christ or you didn't before you died. But part of the reason we want to do this well is because our Savior is watching us well. I hope you hear the heart today. It's not just to have your butt in a seat. If I can use that language, pardon me. Not to just get your rear in gear and get you here. That's part of it. But it's so that you can love each other and exalt Christ all the more. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we close out today, sometimes as we preach these messages, it seems like we have it all figured out here in the pulpit. Lord, we don't. We have problems. We put our pants one leg on a time or sometimes trip over those pants trying to put them on one leg at a time. We are regular, fallible people. So Lord, as we preach this today, I preach this to myself, my own heart, my own family, my own circumstances, as much as anyone hearing this, whether online or in person or sometime down the road. But Lord, our desire here at Tower View is not that just that we would have high attendance numbers, but that those who profess to know Christ would be encouraged one another to walk together, to glorify Christ, to reach the nations, to make disciples, and to ultimately bring praise to your name. Father, help us. I pray for any members of ours who are physically able to come, that are going to work or concerts or grocery stores or whatever. Father, if there be any conflict that needs to be resolved, would you grant wisdom, humility, and forgiveness? If there's any hurt that has happened, the same prayer. Father, but if it's just a a stubborn spiritual obstinance not to be here, Father, help us to love each other where we are but together seek Christ even deeper and wider and more intentionally with that brother and sister. Father, I pray for those who have not yet joined a church, whether it's here or somewhere else. May you be glorified in giving wisdom. Thank you for those, Father, in that very awkward stage of finding the place you want them to be. That's not an easy place. Give them wisdom. Bless their endeavors. But Father, I pray for our church. Ban away the spirit of legalism on attendance. Ban away the spirit of pharisaicalism on this thing. But may we do what the scripture says. May we pour on encouragement all the more for the days drawing near. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you did not forsake us. So we, may we not forsake the assembling of each other. We pray this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.